Hello and welcome to Inside the Recording Studio. I am Jody Whitesides and with me today is Mr. Chris Hellstrom. Hello Jody, how's it going? I'm alive and not unwell. Good. How about you? You've been under the weather for a little while here, so I'm glad you're sounding better. Thank you. It's good to be sounding better. Yeah, back from the dead, huh? Improvements in life. Yay, life goals. Are you living your best life, Jody? I Well, I'd like to think so. Yeah, at least the best under the circumstances that were dealt, huh? <laughs> yeah, something of that nature. Yeah. Awesome. Have you had a good week? You know, some good things have happened. I can't good. complain. Yeah. And other things not so good, but I'm still not going to complain. <laughs> it's almost like life, huh? <laughs> almost. Just a good little things happen bit. and then bad things happen. Yeah. 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 Cool. Well, it's about to get a lot better. Oh, it is. Is it? Why is that? Do tell. Because we're talking drums today. Oh, drums. Yes. The, the fascinating smacks of life. Yes. And we're talking acoustic drums. We're not talking program drums. That's another podcast. Is it but, really? Uh, it is. Are you sure? And we will we will do one as well. Yes. Okay. Uh, but today we're talking acoustic drums, and um, I want to mention too that we're not necessarily going to go into the nitty gritty here about which microphone to use with this and that. But this is a little bit more of an overarching type of a of a vibe here. Kind of like the others we've already kind of done. Yeah, going along the same line here. Uh, so hopefully some good tips and tricks and at least. How many do you think we can name in terms of tips and tricks? Four, five? Oh, I'd like to hope that there's more than that. (laughs) Seven, (laughs) ten? Yeah. Uh, well, let's, let's do a tally at the end of the. the, And I can't count very well because I put seven like this, which is actually like eight. (laughs) <laughs> well, you know, U.S. school system, right? That's right. Right. I have these many. Yes, um, this many. No, but um, we are talking drums, so we're talking about um, miking up an actual kit in an actual room. Um, not this room, mind you. No. Probably not, not your room, room right now either. No, not there either. Um, but... The I guess the first generalities goes to what we always say. What do we always say when we go into the studio about with your instrument? Know your gear? Yeah, well, that, <laughs> but make sure everything is in working order. You know, yeah. um, if you're tracking drums and you're taking the time to rent a studio and, and have somebody there, don't show up with garbage heads that don't sound like anything. So, you know, what, what constitutes a garbage head? Toilet something paper? That's di- something, well, something that sounds like toilet paper. <laughs> well, you might, uh, it might you be it. right. Yeah. And I mean, like, hey, if you're going with like a super lo-fi thing, maybe that's the order of the day. So here's the first drink, all the context. Of the song, right? <laughs> that's right. Um, Shot number one, just one hour. Right. Wow. A couple of minutes into <laughs> it. This is going to be a long day for somebody uh, or a long evening, hopefully. Um no, but the obvious things that make sure, you know, you, your kit sounds good. Um, if you're one of those drummers that is not super comfortable with tuning your own kit, um, get somebody that can. Or I think that's looking, a good suggestion. Yeah. 
And uh, I'm not necessarily even talking about, you know, tuning your toms in minor thirds or anything like that, like Terry Bozio or something. But Hey, but that's um, a cool idea. That is a cool idea. But, you know, just making sure that your the toms sound good or, or the whole kit sounds good, right? So, um, Well, that, that, that's a pretty big, tall order, isn't it? It is. Because that's a but choice of drum heads and then you've got to tune them. And then mm-hmm. it comes to set up in the actual room. Where are you going to place them? Right. So And, yeah. Um, and uh, if you're in a room where you haven't been before or tracked before, ask the engineer, where do you guys usually set up? And he will tell you, we usually set up here. And uh, heed their advice. Um, <laughs> well, hopefully heed their advice. <laughs> right. No, I want to be on the big riser because it's going to look awesome or whatever. That's right. But, uh, I need to look awesome while I'm recording. Right. That. Well, hey, that's very important. For some people, yeah. Some, yeah. Unless you're shooting no, a music but, video, then, of course, you got to look something. Yeah. Look the part. And if you're, if you're in an 80s rock video, you're going to be at the Spark Factory where there's going to be just like Drum lights sticks, going off and you got to do the stick do twirls. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, wow, we got off track really quickly there. No, um, not really. But uh, yeah, so so make sure your kit sounds good. And um, the other thing that I think is really important, and I think you're going to agree with me, is don't have any more kit pieces than you're actually going to use for the song. Well, wait but, a second. You know, if I'm yeah. Neil Peart, mm-hmm. that's a lot of stuff. Well, but he's going to use probably all of that. <laughs> yeah, right? There's a good so possibility of it. Yeah. Um, I mean, <laughs> if you're lucky enough to record Neil Peart, I'd say you let him do whatever the hell he wants. Right? <laughs> well, but, uh, that, that might be tough now seeing as he's <laughs> taking well, he serious cases of smelling away, salts right? to make that happen. Yeah, so. unfortunately. But yes. Um, but let's say, let's say Terry Bozio then or somebody like that that has this big ostinata kit or whatever. But um, the reason I bring that up and I think it's important is the more stuff you have, the more chances you have of getting noise in your recording. Something's vibrating, something's rattling. And it's but that's just, real when it comes to acoustic, man. <laughs> yeah, but it's yeah, it, it's real when it comes to acoustic, but it's really, really annoying in a mix. Yeah, it can be. Um, I, I agree with that. Yeah. So little things like that to, to just kind of take care of, of that beforehand and uh, you're likely to get a lot better results. There is this um, truth. You know, actually, there are sessions that I have done where it's literally kick, snare, and hi-hat. Sure. And if the drummer can kick ass on a groove with just that, the song is going to rock. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, obviously, again, the, and you go sip number two, um, whatever <laughs> musical style you're playing with is going to call for different kits. That right? is program dependent, isn't it? Yeah, it is program dependent, depending on the song, man. Um, right. So, but but that, you know, sort of lends itself to to all of that if you're doing um let's say that you're playing more of a proggy type of thing where you've got boatloads of tom fills and this and that well then you need everything there because but if you're playing um let's say that you're doing like a jazz trio or something like that um well 
maybe you don't need the the Peter Chris seventy seven drum kit. You know? <laughs> so, um, yeah, you only set up what you're actually going to use. I think, and, and uh, everybody would be happier for it. Sage advice, right there. Absolutely, I think so. But yeah, it's just one of those things. Because I mean, sitting around and then after everything is tracked and you you didn't notice it at the session, and then you hear, oh, there's a rattle somewhere, and then try to, you know, um, track that down, and then maybe you have have to send files to like RX to kind of get rid of stuff because it's too annoying. So it's uh, it's just easier to take care of that first. Right up front. Less stuff to fix. Get it done. Right? Yeah. So we talked about having that the, and the kit size. That brings up a next issue. And Which is? How many mics are you going to use? Ooh. How are you going to mic the kit? I say well, at least two mics per drum. At least. At least. Right? Yeah. If no, you're it, really it, awesome, you go three. Right, yeah, and then there will be no phase issues or anything None whatsoever. Like that. None. No. None. None. Um, but uh, in all seriousness, there are a couple of things that will, you know, um, determine what's best for you. The, the one big thing is obviously how you're tracking. I mean, how many inputs do you have? If you have an eight-put interface, let's say, eight-put, well, eight-input. Eight inputs. There you go. Is that what I said? Yeah, you said eight put. It's almost eight. like shot put, only different. <laughs> In, yeah, not the output, the input. If you got eight inputs, um, well, then you're not getting more than eight. Um, well, that's not necessarily do, true. That's not necessarily true because you if could you have use a, mixer, a you can kind of in front of it. Right. But, but then you're also faced with, then you have to sort of mix on the fly there, whatever is going to go through there. So um, if you have to, then that's what you do, but um, the, your inputs generally will, you know, determine how many mics you at least can use. Uh-huh. The other thing is, of course, how many mics do you own, or how many <laughs> are available to you at the studio, or, or however you're tracking. Uh, if you go into a big room, that that's probably going to be less of an issue because you know it would be really fun if you had like fifty Neumann U forty sevens. Yeah. That'd be a real expensive what. mic locker, but wow, wouldn't that be fun? Well, it would be fun, yeah. Uh, I mean, if you have that many Neumanns, why don't we just sell them and move to a Maldives <laughs> or something? <Right. laughs> um, but um, in all seriousness, I'm going to say it again. Um, whatever you're tracking, if you're if you're doing the prog thing, or something, if you're doing like more of a metal, modern metal type of thing, uh, you might need to mic everything. But if you're not, you know, you can do whatever's appropriate. You know, kick, snare, and an overhead, or two overheads, that's four. Um, you could, If you only have one mic, just one room mic, you might get lucky, but just thinking about placement and uh, one room pick mic. up as much as you Isn't can. that like the the quote unquote apparent secret to the giant when the levee breaks drum sound in Led Zeppelin's album? Wasn't it a single room mic somewhere that they used for that? I think there was something in like a hallway or something like that. that yeah, they, like a giant stairwell said. or something that they used. Right. That was like, yeah. we placed this one mic and that was it. Okay, great. That's awesome. So it's possible to get a 
good killer drum sound out of a single mic if your drummer knows how to play extremely well and you have a good place to place that mic. Sure. Yeah. I mean, everything is possible because it's a beautiful <laughs> world. But Except uh, for breathing in space without help. <laughs> yeah. But um, that will, you know, it, it presents its own set of challenges. Like you said, if the things that should go without saying again, it's like whatever your instrument, if you have, but I think especially when you're tracking something like this, um, for a drummer to be able to control his or her dynamics when they play. Very So like important. one snare is not up here and the next one is here when it's supposed to be like an even drive type of a thing. So And I'm assuming you mean when one snare hit is loud and one is soft. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm showing with my hands. Which <laughs> it's hard to hear. That's right. It's hard to I'm hear showing. what Chris is doing when he's showing with yes. his hands. Yeah. So, um, yeah, all of those things go into what we're trying to accomplish, I guess. Uh, Hell yeah. But what's that, the Glenn Johns method, is that three or two mics even? Well, I'm sorry, three or four. I feel like I'm under pressure. Dun, 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 dun. I don't know. Yeah. Off the top of my head, I don't. Right, because I think it was one of those things. It might have been like kick snare and a pair of overheads or maybe even just the kick and two overheads or something like that to kind of pick up enough of the toms and and the snare to kind of do that. Um, if that's what you have at your disposal, try it out. But but before you start tracking, you know, make sure they have a good balance of the kit because it, it's a lot more difficult to get any changes after that. It like, can be, that, yeah, if you're not using individual mics. So you're kind of talking like this Glenn Johns method. That would be like a GJM compared to the KIS. Say that again. Glenn Johns method uh -huh. compared to yes. keep it simple. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I suppose they're they're related, but you just have to <laughs> know a little bit more about the first one, I guess. Um, See, you give me a, a, a weird offhand quiz, I'm going to give you weird offhand anachronisms. Oh, so now, now it's on now. Yeah, all these abreaves. <laughs> abreaves, um, yes. Um, so, but, I mean, tracking, I think tracking drums can be very, very, you know, enjoyable. But it, it is difficult if, if you're not super comfortable doing it. It's a lot harder because there's more stuff to, to mess up than if you're just micing a guitar cab or or something like that. Well, the uh, so, biggest issue becomes phasing between the mics, and we kind of hinted at that already. Right. The phasing and, and the bleed in between mics and all this kind of stuff. Um, so, you know, something that you definitely want to check out as you're tracking it. Uh, it's not that, that the phase issue can't be done or fixed afterwards, but, again, the less cleanup work you have to do um, after the, the fact, I think, is better. <laughs> yeah, just quicker and easier. Yeah. Um, so essentially that kind of comes into, are you going to close mic everything and then just have stereo overheads, or are you going to do a combination of close mics and room mics, or in the Led Zeppelin case, room mics only? Right. And that yeah. again becomes... Depending on the song, 
Yes. On the arrangement. Yep. <laughs> that take means take another shot. <laughs> yeah. Um, so lots of little things to think about, but, um, so how do you check for potential phase issues? What would be your like trick? Well, my trick would be just first, just listening, right? Um, you move the, the mics a little bit and you see if, if all the bottom end goes away really quickly or, or drastically changes the sound. Um, there are also, you know, things that you can do in your DAW if you're checking that, just actually zooming in on, on the waveforms and, and seeing if they um, are, are moving against each other, so to speak, as opposed to yeah. with each other. Yeah. Um, but uh, generally during tracking, um, as a little bit of an A-side to, to what I'm about to say is I, I rarely – or at least the last few times I've been tracking drums, there hasn't been a whole lot of outboard gear involved. And when I say a whole lot, I mean none. Um, so, um, how, are you, how are you getting those mics into the interfaces then? Well, but I'm talking about compression and EQ and preamps and, and that sort of thing. <laughs> right. So everything has been generally in, in the interface. Um, so not so much besides switching the polarity in the DAW on the, just checking and listening for it that way, but then just kind of moving it around to um, making sure it just sounds good. And then, well, that's the age old adage, isn't it? If it sounds good, it is, it is good. good. Right. Right. Um, so in those cases, that would be my, my primary goal to just make sure everything sounds good going in. And then unless there are obvious phase issues, you, you mess around with that, but, but mic placement will get you 90% there. Right. So. Yeah. If you can place things. Yeah. <laughs> but some people have trouble with that. Well, yeah. One issue that comes up when you're, recording drums is, of course, um, you like to get it in a certain spot where you think it's going to sound really good, but then you also can't have it being um, compromising the, the performance of the drummer. I was like, yeah, that sounds great with that snare mic right there, but now I can't hit it, you know? <laughs> so Hit the mic instead. Right. Make that the snare sound. Yeah. Um so those are issues in getting into the kit and depending on how you're mounting them, if you just got boom stands or whatever, you have to finagle a little bit to get in there and, and, and do that. Um, but spending a little time just with that, just essentially pointing the the mic at the somewhat of the center of the drum um, will get you at least halfway there. Halfway, say. just halfway. Just half. Um but uh, yeah, as with anything, take care of most stuff before you, or when you start tracking. Before you start tracking, make sure it, it sounds as good as you can, and uh, your job just gets easier on the on the flip side, so to speak. Um, so yeah, anything that you'd like to add to that? Well, when it comes to dealing with phasing post recording, if you've done as good a job as you possibly can. Um, time alignment plugins yep. tend to help a lot. Yes. Um, 
specifically the one I really like is the Eventide Ultra Precision Time Align plugin. Or actually, it's just called Precision Time Align, I think. Right. It's yeah, you talked badass. highly of that before. Yeah. Yeah. It uh, the the great thing about it is it can time align up to a sixty fourth of a sample. I still how they don't do that, I don't how that understand works. either. But it's pretty wild that it can be done. So yeah. Um, yeah, it's pretty badass. Right, and even if you don't use a plugin, you can obviously just you know every doll will work a little bit different, but you can um, just move things by X amount of samples. Uh, you can do it just visually. You can measure it. You can do that. Or, you know, if you're really brave, just just use your ear, right? <laughs> that's, but, oh, that's uh, way too brave for me, damn it. I don't like to use my ears. I got to see everything. Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. Right. Um, I think one of the things, though, that can make that tough is if you're using things like in Logic, they have the uh, uh, phase-aligned audio in groups. So when I track drums, I always use the quantized or the uh, phase-aligned audio editing feature yes. in the group settings before even tracking drums so that everything stays together. Because if you track multiple takes, your takes right. need to remain phase-aligned and you can't have one take of like the hi-hat in one take and then use the kick from another take because that won't be aligned properly, so to speak, with the takes that you're using. So the kit might sound funny at that point. Right. So there's that, which is why the plugin comes in handy, because Logic will still take care of the actual audio being phase aligned at its point of reference. And then the plugin can then change that relationship in time a little bit. Right. Right. Um, yeah. When I do that, I tend to always, you know, I, Comp the drums, comp the takes, um, whatever is going to be used in this song. Um, and then I will, you know, generally print those first. And then I will start preparing and doing the fight phase alignment type of thing. And, and uh, so everything is locked. It's not, not moved. Oh, there's a snare from here. I would never do that. I would always use if there's a section of the song where it needs to be phase lock audio <laughs> yes phase lock audio um and uh, see now you threw me off uh no so i i will because i got all a good that. curveball right so i did all that um after all the comping from different takes if there are any um i will do the minutia editing before i again start start mixing and all this kind of stuff Minutia editing. There's a new yeah. term for you. Yeah. Extra <laughs> bonus points for me, huh? Yes, sir. Yeah. Um, so one thing I guess we should talk about just briefly. Um, just one. Just one. Because we've briefly, touched on quite a few Before today. we move on. Um, is In your experience, do you have – I think you're mostly doing drums programming drums these days but do you have any favorite microphones or anything like that that you'd like to use well the handy dandy thing on a snare drum is the sm57 yes that's pretty much a go-to for the high-end crack <laughs> um yeah and then you can the drummer can freely just bash the crap out of that too yeah. and you, you won't High be SPL crying rivers right of there. blood yeah because it's going to cost you a hundred bucks to replace it so right uh, uh, for kick drums I think 
the Audix, is it the D6 by Audix? Can't remember. But I think it's the D6 that's a really nice kick drum sound. Uh, mm-hmm. Another thing that I've done in the past that I really dig in getting a very full kick drum sound is to actually run a speaker in reverse in front of the kick drum to get what is like a sub type sound yeah. out mm-hmm. of it. Um, so you're using an actual speaker as your microphone. Right. Uh, yeah. They actually, I think there's companies out that make, specifically make setups for that so you don't have to jerry rig oh, yeah. a speaker for yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, in terms of toms, usually I'm, I'm a big fan of Audix mics on drums. Yeah. And so I generally tend to go with Audix brand microphones cool. on drums. Yeah. Yeah. Um I for the overheads though on that on that KM84s, the Telefunken KM84s? No, Neumann mm-hmm. makes the KM84. I'm sorry. The Neumann KM84s are great overhead mics. Um as are Telefunken M82. The M260s I think they are that are kind of like yeah. the KM84s. Um Could be. I I've used the uh M82s in the past. Yeah. Uh, also Telefunken, I like those. And um, um, no, I'm sorry, that's not. Th- th- I'm getting my mics mixed up. Uh, the, the Shure. <laughs> it's so SM, easy to do. SM eighty ones. <laughs> yeah. No, the, the reason I say Telefunken is I was recently in a position to try out a um, a different kick mic, mm. and that is the M eighty two, the Telefunken M eighty two. Yes. And um, that one had a couple of interesting features that um, it had a a top-end boost and it also had a dip in the low end. Mm. So my first thought was, okay, well, if it's a kick drum mic, how is this, you know, dip affected? <laughs> right. And I was really, really surprised because – when I had the dip engaged and the top boost engaged, it was by far the best setting <laughs> on, on that <laughs> kick drum. Um, now, the the dip, I think, is relatively high. I want to say it, it's in about 100, maybe. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, I don't have the, the details in front of me. But that and engaging, I think it's like a 6 dB boost in like the 4k range or something but it's a shelf i think and it was i was really really impressed it sounded really really good um so another good overhead set and this is funny because it might seem like a weird overkill is the sennheisers uh god now i'm gonna forget the number um sennheiser makes a great overhead mic too right yeah yeah now when it comes to overheads um, what method do you usually do? Do you do you do like the the cross pattern, or do you like a spaced pair type of thing, or where what do you prefer? It depends on the value. Don't say of, it. Don't say it. It depends <laughs> on the value of what you want the drums to do, which almost becomes well, it it, it doesn't even become. It is. It's program dependent on the value that you want the drums to have in the mix in terms of their spatial left rightness. And sometimes it will be the cross X pattern. Right. Sometimes it will be this kind of pattern. 
Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it's straight down on both right. overhead, you know, just straight over where you want the most reflections coming off of a a, a symbol area, so to speak, right. or a tom area or however you want it to sound. Right. So it really becomes dependent upon how you want the drums to sit in the mix in a stereo field because obviously doing something where you're crossing the X's like this, right. you're going to be getting a much wider left-right than if you do this or even this in, right. my, in my experience. Yeah, I've uh, experimented with, with those as well. I think at least at this point I'm a big fan of the, the space pair. The space pair. yeah. So well, space pair of this or space pair of that? No, straight down. Where straight I take down, a measurement right. from gotcha. from the snare uh, and essentially form a triangle mm-hmm. to to the overheads. Uh, just I found that I got a decent blend of the kit and enough of the uh, enough separation, I suppose, from uh, the kit pieces as the or the crashes and the the. Uh, well, and then the, the, the next thing you have to do is you have to listen to the playing and if you know, listen to how the wash of a crash hit happens because yeah. that's where you have to pay attention to, again, phasing issues right. based on setup is how yeah. the crashes will sound when they wash in the room. Sometimes you want that phase, other times not so much. Yeah. Yeah, no, that can be a challenge. And uh, I would say... Especially if if a uh, if it's a drummer that might be a little aggressive, that so by, by the time they get to those crashes, let's say that you do like a crash ride type of thing, and you generally perform at a certain dynamic, and then just bashing the crap out of that, you know, come chorus or whatever, and um, that can be problematic. Um, yes. So, yeah. You know what else can be problematic? What is that? Drummer's timing. Yes. That that can be problematic. Um, <laughs> you know, so, you know, ideally you have a drummer that is comfortable playing to a click. Well, yeah, yes and no. But part of it is, is if you're tracking things separately, then obviously it's very ideal to have a click track going so you can right. line everything up. Um there are instances when you are attempting to correct a drummer's timing and it messes with the sound value of the drums, at which point you need to start layering sounds with samples sometimes. Yeah. Or sometimes the drummer just can't hit and you need to layer a sound in anyway. That or, you know, it needs just a little bit of help in the arrangement if you have a big, thick arrangement and you need another snare to kind of stack on top of there. But uh, same thing with kicks uh, or toms for that matter. Um, So it is possible in software to do that now. And I know we're both Logic users, so Logic does that actually quite well um, when it extracts a MIDI um, track from... If you're choosing the snare track or, or the, the kick, whatever you're trying to do, um, and you can just trigger a different sample from that. I would very, very rarely replace something completely unless there's something that's really wrong with it. But um, yeah, well, it that probably has means to be that, really wrong. 
Yeah, that's to be really wrong. And if I'm the engineer on that session, it's mm. my fault. So uh, <laughs> I'm going to do you will hang for I, it. Right, and I shall hang for it. <coughs> yeah, so um, yeah, a lot, lot of things to, to think about. And, you know, not only technical things with mic placement and all this kind of stuff, but obviously things that you're, you mentioned were listening for the drummer's dynamic and and that kind of thing. Consistency Unless called, so the, and hitting. Yeah, consistency, I guess, is a better term to use. Um, Their intent. So that, right, right. Um, so another question that I think you and I have different opinions on, but yet not, but that is the uh, – <laughs> do you generally track a room mic? Oh, yes. Yeah? Yes. Why? Because if the room is good, everything else could be made good. I, don't, I like space. And to dial it in, it helps to have a good room sound. To throw all the drums through a reverb plug-in is not the same thing as having it in the room. So, no, this is true. Room, I should say. So it's, it's not a bad idea if you have the inputs and everything else to do it to get a room track, whether it's a stereo room track or a mono room uh, track, it, it helps. More often than not, I generally just use a mono room mic. But, yeah. Yeah. No, I, I generally use one too. Um, a lot of times though, I don't end up using it. Uh, but, but a big factor there is, of course, how do the drums sound in the room? Yes. If it's not a great sounding room, then, you know, hey, let's record this crappy room for posterity. You but know? you can do weird things with it. Like you can run yeah, it through distortion and get some crazy acts effects to use inside the mix subtly or not so subtly, depending on what you want to do. Sure. Sure. Um, but again, that depends on what, what kind of track and stuff that you're doing, right? If you're doing it, let's say that I think it'd be a great idea to do if you're doing like a, say like an indie rock track or something where it's a little bit more of that live feel, um, then you can get away with a little bit more experimentation, um, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, you definitely don't want to distort the crap out of a jazz ensemble. <laughs> yeah, you really, really pushing boundaries. jazz on steroids. Right. And then I think also, in my experience, again, the, the – the more dense of if you have more of a dense rock track, um, it's hard to fit all that in there because you really want the the the, the attack and, and the the presence of, of the the drum. So, in that case, I I might have it in there a little bit. A lot of times, I don't. Um, but that's you know up to taste. So whatever you like to do. That's right. Program dependent. Take yet two more shots because we've said right. that a couple times. Yeah, though. no, I, but but you said, you know, something that that's really important. I think though, if you uh -oh. if you have the input, <laughs> an extra input, yeah. and you know, throw up a drum or a, a room mic. It, it's not bad. You don't have to use it. So, you know, you might want to have it there. Yes. Um, but uh, yeah. So there, there's a quick crash course in, in uh, drum recording. Drum ideas, um, anyway. Right. Um, but as with everything, use use your ear best you can. There's no 
right or wrong way to do something. It's just well, tried and true stuff. <laughs> There's well, some things that might be ultimately wrong. It's just whether or not you choose to use them. Right. Well, let's use the term experimental, shall we? Yeah, there you go. Yeah. It becomes very experimental. Right. Um, but but there are obviously ways of – now, there's a lot of information out there that you can find for, you know, miking techniques and this and that. But just using your ear, trying to get up as much of, of the sound of the of the drum or overheads as possible in a pleasing way. And one thing to take into consideration, too, is like when you're positioning your mic um, – if you're placing it in a certain way that it's actually going to pick up more leak from something else, uh, you might want to think about mic placement and that kind of thing. Gotcha. So, um, leak. what's the other thing? The Sounds last like thing you I need wanted. depends on the drum kit. <laughs> yes. Well, no, but I mean, but if you have no, 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 you know, depends. Uh, the undergarments leak. Catch right. Itch. But but if you're <laughs> let's say that you're 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 miking your snare, right? You might not want to. Point the mic toward the hi hat, you know. Or yeah, it's probably not a good idea kind of to do that. So um, usually, um, I take the mic in from opposite of the hi hat, right? So yeah. it's pointed away from it. That's just right. me. Yeah, I like to have it pointed toward the drummer as much as possible, so kind of avoid any kind of leakage from if there are floor toms or anything like that as well. Less of an issue because, uh, but. Um, yeah, you definitely want to try to be a little careful with that hi-hat. Um, and uh, that's another question, actually, I didn't, we didn't talk about yet. But Uh-oh. do you, do you spot mic the hi-hat or do you just let the overhead deal with that? Well, program dependent, take a shot. Sometimes yeah. you need to have that directional value on the hi-hat. Sometimes right. you don't. Yeah. So if you so have, in that example, regard, let's say that it's a that's funk, how I would do it. It's a funk track, let's say, and it, it what, what's going on with the hi hat is is very very important to the groove. Um, you definitely, or I would say definitely, have a separate hi hat track. Um, but again, depending on the inputs you have and all this kind of stuff, what you need. If you got your Peter Chris Toms, and you need all the mics for those, you. Uh, might have to sacrifice your hi-hat mic because there, there are times too where, where I've tracked a hi-hat mic and, and I just feel that I have enough of it in in the overheads where yeah. I ultimately don't need it. But but as you said, if it, it's nice to have it there too. Yep, yep, yep. Um, so yeah, hi-hat mics and drum mics and overheads and all that kind of fun oh stuff. Oh my. <laughs> yeah. So... Um, yeah, I think that's enough for me, Jody. Do you have anything that you'd like to add? Not at the moment, but we could just say in a future episode. Yes. We'll be talking actually about drum programming. Yes. Like full on. Right. Full so, on, full on. Full on that, which is something that at least I enjoy doing as well. So. Yeah, you are a drum programming nut. Woohoo. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Well, that's going to do it for me then, Jody. Uh, All righty. a fantastic rest of the day, and I'll talk to you soon, my friend. We'll work on it. And for all of you out there in Inside the Recording Studio land, we will see you.
Thanks for listening.